0: Hello, and at last, welcome back to Sensational She Geek live from Yancy Street. This is episode 99. Do I have plans for something special for episode 100? Absolutely not, but I will take ideas. This week, we're going to be doing things a bit, um, I don't know, a bit differently. We'll kind of see how things go. I keep biting my tongue, so we'll see how long I last. We'll start off with the tarot card of the week, per usual. This week is card number 12, The Hanged Man. Or the hanging one, as some people say. Uh, we have a little bit of comic book news. It's going to be a little bit of a bitch fest, I'm not going to lie. Um, but then some cool stuff too, so what can I say? There's a lot of comics that we're catching up on in the recent reads, and we'll be talking the two events from Marvel and DC that are happening. It's Night Terrors and then the X-Men Before the Fall. These are setting up the summer event. That's called the fall uh, instead of the fall event called the fall. Don't get me started on that. Uh, and then yeah, night terrors at DC, uh, a little bit of comics next week, which is mostly going to be night terrors um, and some Marvel stuff. Well, it's actually a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of big two stuff for next week. Um, then in TV anime, there's a lot of cool anime that's been coming out with English jobs because the new summer season has started. We'll talk a little bit about that, including uh, Adam being here to talk to Jujutsu Kaisen Um, some other things, my happy marriage, we've been watching together and some other cool stuff. Um, and then in the, uh, we've combined the like anime news and the other news. So we'll talk some stuff, including the Deadpool three stuff, some comic con business because of the hotel strike, um, Fun fact, I had a degree, I have a degree in hospitality management, so I know all about the workings of hotels, so it's kind of interesting for me with that background um, to hear about all of what's going on in San Diego and really across the industry. Uh, And then there's also the the other strikes that are happening in Hollywood, so all of that is going to get talked about. Uh, It's all kind of important things because scary stuff is happening and really, frankly, morally corrupt stuff. (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, we'll wrap up um adam's been a lot more into secret invasion than i have i will not lie um so he will probably lead that discussion and then strange new worlds there's three episodes that we'll be covering it's episodes two three and or rather it's three four and five is what we'll be covering uh really been loving what they've been doing with the season um super happy just to have a season two to be honest so that's what this today's episode is going to more or less look like We are also having minor microphone recording issues. Uh, It seems like the first few seconds of each clip are a little bit warbly, so I apologize for that. I will be replacing this microphone ASAP. Um, But in the meantime, you can help me get a nicer microphone than this one that's lasted me about two years only uh, by donating on my various, uh, you know, Ko-fi and Patreon and stuff like that. I actually don't have a Patreon anymore. It was kind of silly. Uh, but other things, yes. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started anyway. Just mind the warbliness. The tarot card of the week is the hanged man. Uh, we'll be talking history, which is really going to have a lot of the description and symbolism in there, so we don't have like a specific description and symbolism section. We'll just skip straight to interpretation and meaning still very much tied into history as well. A little bit of pop culture, including the anime tarot, the Marvel tarot, and more Jojo references. And then we'll have a little summary, once again, provided by um, me finding it on tarotheritage.com, which is a fantastic read for certain Major Arcana Tarot cards. Um, really great history and whatnot. So starting with the history, Known in the 15th century, this card was known as the Traitor, originally based on shame paintings, public art done on traitors who skipped town before their executions. These paintings were commissioned by the heads of Italian city-states as revenge on those who betray them. They are meant to be recognizable portraits of contorted agony, no doubt biblical. The Medicis of Florence, yes, those Medicis, they made a show about them that I'm sure was very dramatic. Uh, They commissioned the most uh, the most of these in their town usually after the family defeated yet another rebellion artist andrea del Castagno you know did so many that he became known as in the english version andy the hanged man popes also commissioned these works Pius ii loathed the lord of rumini condemning him to hell for eternity burning an effigy of him which was very uncatholic of him and ordering a shame painting done of him shame paintings would also contain words of the figure introducing themselves and what exactly it was that they did. It seems the number 12 has a connection to the hanged man as a traitor as well. And Atendolo betrayed the church 12 times. Judas was the 12th disciple. The upright posts of the Tarot de Marseille gibbet have 12 red stubs where branches have been lopped off. The number was undoubtedly chosen for its symbolic value. The most gruesome hanged man can still be seen in Bologna. Bologna. (laughs) Uh, The head of the Bolognini family commissioned a fresco of hell in 1410 for the family chapel in Basilica di San Petronio. He told the artist to make it as horrible as possible. The artist Giovanni da Modena delivered a grotesque scene centered on a man-eating devil. Near the upper edge, two men hang upside down, labeled idolaters and ninusrex. A reference to the founder of the city of Nineveh, a hotbed of pagan idolatry. Idolaters are the ultimate traitors against God because they worship false images, that is, images not approved by the church. See, that's why it's not very Catholic of him to have burned an effigy, because effigies themselves aren't at all Catholic. <laughs> false idols. Uh, the hanged, As for the hanged man symbolizing a traitor... A thirteen ninety three decree for Milan and Lombardy of the punishment of traitors said, Let him let him be drug on a wooden plank at a horse's tail to the palace of execution, and there be suspended by one foot to the gallows, and be left there until he is dead. As long as he lives, let him be given food and drink. A fortune telling book, the Sigismondo Fanti book published in 1527 depicts a hanged man in the center of a horoscope. The lines under it read, if you are inhuman (laughs) or traitor to lords or relatives, in fact in work or in work if you are without any respect without reason, then I see you end your days in the air. Francesca Piscina from the Piedmont region of Italy wrote a discourse in 16. 1565 on the moral lessons that can be found in Tarot. He describes the hanged man as dishonest, false, vicious, pestiferous at the same time in central Italy. An anonymous author wrote a, mem- a moralizing discourse on Tarot where he referred to the card as the traitor on changing to the serene and detached face for such a tortured person. Shame paintings depicted the victim writhing in agony, yet the tarot card usually shows him serene and detached. The image may have been sanitized since the disturbing sight of a hanging man in agony would have dampened the atmosphere around the card table. Tortured and martyred saints maintain their serenity because they have transcended the human condition. An example is Saint Peter Martyr who appears unfazed by the scimitar embedded in his skull. Serene Hanged Men set the stage for the 19th century spiritualized Hanged Man, passively surrendering to God's will. In his book, The Pictorial Key to Tarot, Waite says the Hanged Man is not suffering, he's in a trance, his life is in suspension. Waite, a Christian Christian mystic, said this card is essentially about the relationship between the divine and the universe, and the promise of resurrection. As for the cards Evolution of Design... Some early Italian cards, like those in the Rothschild and Rosenwald sheets, show the hanged man holding bags of money, which has been interpreted as a reference to Judas. But he might also be a dishonest banker or the mercenary soldier who switches sides depending on who's offering the most money. In the 17th and 18th centuries, some card printers turn the Hanged Man right side up. Antoine Court de Gebelin, the first person we know to write about esoteric tarot, said the card makers show their ignorance when they print the Hanged Man upside down. He tells us the Hanged Man is the cardinal virtue prudence, even though this figure has none of the classic attributes, attributes of prudence. Authors who say this card means wisdom and discernment are looking back at this attribution. France did not have a tradition of shame paintings, so the average French card player was probably ignorant of the card's original meaning. Furthermore, not curious about it. Le Lependu, in, in the later Italian name La Pesso, refer to the fact that he's hanging but not necessarily a criminal. For card players, all that matters is where the card stands in the hierarchy of the Trump series, what card it can capture, and who it can be captured by. This lack of of cultural context meant the Hanged Man card was a blank slate ready to be reimagined by 18th century occultists. French occultists de Gabelin and Italia in the 18th century, and Oswald Worth a century later, introduced the Hanged Man as a spiritual seeker who has reached a turning point in his life path. Trump's one of... Trumps 1 through 11 describe the active life of testing your own powers and learning self-mastery, culminating in the Strength card. The Hanged Man inverts these worldly values and surrenders to a high, higher power. He lets go of the past, reorients his thinking around a different set of values, and shifts his life direction radically. The Hanged Man is no longer of this world. He has transcended the human condition. His body is helpless, but his soul is free and emanates great spiritual power interpretation and meaning of the card according to uh, Mr. Waite in the early 20th century he said it stood for wisdom, circumspection, circumspection, discernment trials sacrifice intuition divination and prophecy he said reverse it stood for selfishness the crowd and body, po- body politics. We have very little evidence for how tarot was interpreted for fortune-telling in the 15th and 16th centuries, but it's clear that the Hanged Man card was considered a traitor. Some card meanings relating to this theme are betrayal of trust, betraying a friend, abandoning plans, and selling out. Your world has been upturned... Ups- has been turned upside down, and nothing can be relied on. It's about switching allegiances and changing your viewpoint. Your betrayal may have resulted in social humiliation, shame, loss of status, torture, and a violent death. As for pop culture references here for this card, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, they use tarot cards to name characters' abilities, aka stands. The character J. Gill has a stand called the Hanged Man. Do you remember J. Is he not a very important character. It's been a while since I've watched part three. Alright, so then that's moving on to the Marvel Tarot, uh, which is the 2007 publication that Marvel put out, which is the, so I guess you would say, publicized journal of a character... Was a kind of like mystical character in the Marvel Universe. He goes through in the journal and puts uh, assigns characters to most of the uh, major arcana cards. And so, here for the Hanged Man, he draws uh, you'll see Jericho, Brother Voodoo. What he says is, the Hanged Man card represents willing sacrifice. I was not sure at first why the deck would choose Brother Voodoo as the subject for this card. Every hero makes sacrifices when they decide to stand against the shadows, but Jericho Drum's sacrifice is not one that makes Brother Voodoo the subject of the card. I did a little research and learned the whole story of this heroic hungan. The spirit of Jericho's brother, Daniel, gave up the peace of the afterlife to bond with his sibling— Doubling Brother Voodoo's strength, and strength, will, and mystical potential. Now I think of him as Brother's Voodoo. That's an odd bit of um, lore that I didn't know about. Also, very different to what any of the history of the card has anything to say about. Did you have something you wanted to add at all? Okay. So then moving on to Anime Tarot. Uh, which is the Natasha Iglesias uh, tarot deck, which assigns various archetypes and symbols to uh, the various face cards, which include the major arcana and the uh, trump cards of the major arcana. So let's go to card number 12, the Hanged Man, who is the Isekai hero or heroine. What she says about this is the Hanged analog in anime is the Isekai hero or heroine. Isekai have characters who've been transported to other worlds, Places that usually have magic and rules that are vastly different from those the character is used to. Once transported, the hero or heroine must pause to reevaluate. They have to fully consider their new surroundings and decide how to move forward. Eventually, they surrender to the changed circumstances and embrace what comes, leading them toward adventure, success, romance, and self-sufficiency. So she talks about examples being Chihiro Ogino in Spirited Away Kagome, Higi, Higurashi in Inuyasha. Um. the Spirits, Aoi Tsubaki. And then Starting Life in Another World, which I guess is Re Zero, R E Zero. Somebody please tell me how to say it without sounding stupid. Uh. Subaru Natsuki, which I understand there may not be a way to say it without sounding stupid. And then that time I got reincarnated as a slime, of course, Rimuru. I never finished that show. I couldn't really get into it that much, but there we go. As for our summary, how can we reconcile the early Italian trader with the contemporary hanged one who follows a path of personal transformation? They both stand outside the normal social order and both cling to the unconventional values. The traitor may be a criminal in the eyes of the establishment, but he risked his life to pursue something he valued. If the United States had lost the War of Independence, George Washington and all the founding fathers would have been hung as British traitors, but they would have entered American folklore as martyrs for freedom. The contemporary Hanged One leads a courageous, unconventional life that is condemned by those who don't understand the inner process. These nonconformists know they must follow their heart or suffer a spiritual death which I think a lot of people can probably relate to. Moving into comic books from there, we're going to skip over manga this week. Uh, Some comic book news. Uh, Over at DC Comics, the rumor is Jessica Shen is actually leaving DC Comics. Um, If you're unfamiliar with her, she is a DC editor. She does a lot of the Bat Family stuff, Nightwing. Um, I think she was not doing Harley Quinn, but uh, she was working with I want to say a lot of the yeah a lot of the bat family stuff over the course of the years that she was there and then notably in the past year or so she was the one who initiated and set up the whole the aapi um asian americans and pacific islanders initiative to have um shoot what do they call it it is part of Dawn of DC, and it's the initiative's called We Are Legends. It's three or four titles that are Asian and Asian-American run, or led, um, and run, actually. Um, and for the most part, they're really good. I really like Spirit World. Um, there's It's a lot of hate because people are just ridiculous, but it's actually genuinely been really good, in my opinion. Um, And then there's a couple other ones, The Vigil, um, and those are the titles for that. So it's really interesting that she's now leaving DC after making that kind of big step, which is what I thought would be like a career move up step. But I guess it's going to gaming, into gaming for her next. So I guess congratulations for her. Um, Speaking of stuff happening at DC... A couple of years ago, they published three titles. Well, they published a number of titles uh, in Japanese that were manga for DC characters. Three of those now have been translated into English and are being published, um, I think, later this month. They are Batman, Justice Buster, Joker, One Operation Joker, and Superman vs. Meshi. Uh, Batman, Justice Buster is a story of him being somewhat early on in his career And he creates a security system called Robin. It's an acronym for something, I'm sure. Joker, One Operation Joker, is a story of Joker uh, fighting Batman who falls into a vat of acid and turns into a baby. And then he has to take care of the baby. Classic. Love it. I will be very thrilled to read that. And then Superman vs. Meshi is him and some food stuff that happens. Superman vs. food is kind of what it sounds like. (laughs) So that's, that's, that's the light, the light content, because we also need to talk about what's been announced coming in, what is it, October? Uh, Ms. Marvel, the new mutant. I guess, sorry for spoiling that if you didn't know about that, but that's happening. We talked about that when it was announced or when it was discovered or whatever that leaked, I guess is right, what's right there, that she was going to be dying, (laughs) getting killed, sorry, getting killed, actually. Uh, that she would be... We theorized she would be becoming a mutant because, you know, MCU synergy. Something that's become very exhausting as a comics reader. Um, and yes, it does look like that. Um, what was that panel from? That was just one of the covers of, Which, the, co- of the Ms. Marvel, the new oh, mutant. Oh, the little
1: bright lights. Yeah, yeah it's that was hard cover. to tell
0: so far if they're going to be doing the full extent of the power change. Um... But there's the two covers that I've seen so far. One is an art germ cover where it does look like she has the embiggening, as she calls it, still from the comics. But then the one that uh, just came out with her and uh, Jean and Scott on the cover, it looks like she has almost Dazzler-style-like kind of powers. So we'll see how that is. I'm also, have to say, extremely disappointed in the design they gave her for... Her X Men suit, I guess, is what it's gonna be. Really, don't like it. <laughs> it's very not good. Um, it looks like every other like Ms Marvel or Marvel Girl outfit. I guess it is what it is. I swear to God, if they start calling her Marvel Girl, I'm gonna spit on somebody. Sorry. Um, Someone might be into that. I don't think. I don't think they. I don't think they're gonna do that because I technically have a Marvel Girl right now. I think. I'm not really sure who they're calling what when it comes to the Summer's Grey clan. Um, But anyway, MCU Synergy is really exhausting. Um, They are kind of sacrificing the enjoyment of fans who've been at this for a little while or who are aware of what was kind of going on before now for trying to get new people to come in strictly... Because of the connection to the MCU. There's not really any other reason for new fans to come into this except for the fact that, oh, they're making her a mutant like in the in the movies and the show. Am I I don't know if you think that I'm wrong about that this, at all.
1: Yeah, the, the annoying synergy of gearing the the comics to like bring in new people after the movies. Um I kind of feel like it diminishes a lot of the the curiosity that people would get because versus, you know, oh, nice, you know, I saw Kamal on this TV show, now I'm going to go mm-hmm. read the book. And now you're reading the same exact thing versus mm-hmm. you kind of get dropped into a story and then you get all these questions. You're like, you know what? I want to go back and read more instead of like,
0: mm-hmm. oh,
1: this is the same character I'm seeing on the show. I feel like that kind of kills the enjoyment and curiosity yeah. that people would find trying to jump in.
0: I also think it's actually, I didn't think about this till just now, I think it's killing the enjoyment of the the little the funny little tweaks they make in the differences from the comics to the MCU before in the past it was like oh yeah it's so fun that like for example I thought it was so fun they made Marvel a woman you know little tiny tweaks what's another one um,
1: I mean the the, the honestly, most obvious one the the Nick Fury you know yeah Samuel Jackson Nick Fury
0: well that's that's not a good example because that was one that ended up in the comics ASAP um, but what I what I mean is like it's those little tiny changes are kind of fun sometimes. But at this point, I'm realizing that anytime I'm seeing those changes, my first thought is, all right, when are they going to do this in the comics? That's not fun. That's really... It, it kind of kills it for you. Um, and I think it kind of kills the whole, like, relationship that you have. Because if they're the same, then why are we doing this? Why are we just... I don't know, it just doesn't really, it doesn't feel right at all. It doesn't feel like the way that you handle adaptations. Yeah, yeah. Like, these are supposed to be adaptations of comic books, not the other way around. <laughs> um, and I, don't, I don't know, it's 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 not great. Um, and yes, Iman Valani is apparently co-writing that, good for her, and her fandom for being a Kamala fan and all that, for her, whole, her knowing her whole teenage years, whatever. Uh, that's great. I I always wonder when they have these celebrity co-written titles, how much they actually contribute. Um, And then also, you know, it's all kind of a publicity stunt a little bit. Am I wrong? (laughs) Getting her to be on the cover and saying, yeah, Mon Valani okayed this. is kind of like, come on guys. She said it's okay. I don't know. That's it. The whole thing is just kind of sour Um, And I will go over the uh, Fallen Friend (laughs) when we go through the Before the Fall titles, because that's going to be kind of tied into that, it sounds like. Um, Which is coming up next, the recent reads and events. These are more or less in order of the week they came out, uh, except for the events. Um, So we'll go over a lot of these kind of quickly. Daredevil and Echo number two. I'm still enjoying this. The first issue ended with Dima, Dima Goblin, not Dima Goblin, the female version coming in and fighting about some God they worship or something like that. Um, god of demons, something along those lines. Um, something that has to do with the Dima Goblin is possessing these kids to go and cause these weird disasters like we saw in the first issue. Issue, um, And so she does it with a second kid. This time it's a boy, a little boy and the kid wanders off to the church that's uh kind of the center of all of this going down. Um, and as they follow the kid, Ghost Rider shows up and is gonna he's gonna murder this child <laughs> because he's it's possessed by a demon. So that's that's gonna go. I'm sure not at all violently. Harley Quinn number thirty one was genuinely mediocre. I'm sorry. I really thought that I would enjoy the Harley and Ivy being together more than this. But I think I know who we can blame. All the creatives is what I'm blaming, Um, including Editorial and whoever sent them on this track. And whoever's idea it was to start drawing Harley with buck teeth, I understand that later in the issue, she does partially turn into a rabbit. She has those buck teeth the entire issue. What the heck? It was... Since when has that been her like face shape? That was like when there was one artist... um, in the Avengers, when Jason Aaron was doing it, who kept drawing She-Hulk with, like, the butt chin. She doesn't have a chin like that. She's never been drawn like that. Why was, like, why does she have buck teeth? I don't understand. It was really unattractive, and I get that people didn't like Riley Rossmo's art because that's what they said, but it's also not at all her design, so I don't understand where they're going with that. Uh, She-Hulk number 13. Yes, the dastardly attractive thief guy, whatever his name is. Uh, They ended up on a date or whatever. So, we all knew this was coming. Captain Marvel, Dark Tempest, number one. You know, we we were talking about this earlier, um, how the Captain Marvel of... I kind of came to the conclusion after watching part of Captain Marvel again the other day. That is not the comic book Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers in any way. Um... They kind of made an OC, their original character, and they're calling her Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, similar to the way that they do with you know so many characters. They just like slip in, oh yeah, this this is our take on this person, you know. Um, but reading this Dark Tempest by Anne Nocenti and whoever the artist was, sorry, dude. Um, it feels like she's written like the MCU Captain Marvel, which I would I would call that being kind of like one of the boys she wants to be one of the boys she is one of the boys like that's like the whole root of the character is what it feels like um in the captain marvel movie of course the boys was the kree <laughs> there was only one female one among them anyway so besides carol um but that's what it kind of felt like so i'm not super thrilled with it but i'll probably keep up with it to be aware of what's happening with carol cuz i love the character and she is getting the new series starting in October um, by the writer of Spirit World, which I was just talking about that I like, and we'll go over another issue in a minute here. Moving on, Swan Songs, number one. Uh, I did not realize this beforehand, but it's by the creator of Ice Cream Man. Um, it's another anthology series that he's getting started here. I'm not sure if it's an anthology of stories about the end of the world. Or about this one particular end of this world and it's going to be various people on this planet when the world is ending? I'm not sure. Uh, or is this going to be various destructive world-ending scenarios in each issue? I'm not sure. Um, we'll have to wait to the second issue. Oh, by the way, the second issue has art by... Christian Winsigard. He was... Um, he, um, <laughs> hang on. Kaspar is his first name um really fantastic artist he did uh was it all against all no was it all against all no so um yeah yeah it was all against all um and then the one before that was about the in 1994 the, the haunted house Do you remember that one the haunted house that possessed that had all the ghosts in it and then they had like the mech that they made it it was uh, that one. Homesick Pilots. Thank you. Homesick Pilots. That was where I that first really saw good, his art. Yeah. He's gonna be on the next issue of Swan Song, so you bet your butt I'm checking that out. I will I will read anything that Kaspar Wingard please tell me how to say that Um, will do the art for, because it's incredible. It's kind of like Phil Noto for me. Although Phil Noto's pretty much only at Marvel right now. I'd love to see him do something indie. Oh my god, could you imagine? Yes, I can, and it's fantastic. Uh, Silk number two. This is another Silk five shot. It's like the fourth they've given her in the past few years. It's very frustrating. Just let it continue into the next series instead of starting another one every four or five months. It's silly. But um, in this issue, Silk is still trapped in the dreamscape, but we do get a little flashback to her brother um, who had had some issues with uh, demon clans, I think, in the past, but now as an upstanding citizen, um, and worried about what's happening with his sister, and kind of walks in on what's happening with his sister, her being held in stasis by evil lady from the last series. So why didn't they just make it one? I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Doctor Strange number five. You once again have, uh, Clea and Steven going towards. Actually, you know what? Was there five and six? No, it was just five. Um, Clea and Stephen going towards, going to Umar's wedding, um, you know, good for her and all that. She is, is very open. They're both very open about the fact that they're only doing this for power. Um, and that's great. Good for them. That's genuinely completely along her character. Odd thing, though, she has, okay, so I, I'm really torn about this. When Umar gave birth to Clea, she lost her ability to change into her faulty form. The Faltine, which is what Umar and Dormammu are, because they're brother and sister, they're technically like twins, um, although that terminology would disgust them because the Faltine are bodiless. They are completely disgusted by bodies, by physical anything, and by the terminology of familyhood, which designates having, you know, separated yourself into this other thing. Generally, Faultines are all about kind of the same. Uh, But these two were different, Umar and Dormammu. They took human forms to see what it was like, and they went to the Dark Dimension after being kicked out of their own place. Um, Umar has a relationship with... What's his name? Oh, something. Clea's father. um, And that's how Clea comes to be. When she gives birth to Clea, she cannot go back to her faulting form. So... Um, she always talks about how disgusted she is with her human body and how the experience of having sex with her father and of ha- creating that life was an absolutely disgusting experience. Um, which I can kind of, I can kind of jive with that. Um, so here she is, this is why I'm torn in the fact that she's having another baby, but they have conceived it and are cooking it, I guess, so to say completely magically outside of her body they have a magical case basically that the 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 fetus is in that it's just sitting there cooking in and whenever she's ready for it to be grown she can i guess finish growing in and pop it out that that's so umar of her because she hated that she and she says that even in in the comic i will never bring i will never make another life from my body again or something like that um, it sounds like generally disgusted with having had a baby in the past. That way, uh, it's kind of it's kind of cool, but also I don't know about Clea having a sister. This feels like something that they're gonna find a way to screw up. Um, and then the issue ends with Steven's like other self from the dark dimension or something. It's not the dark dimension from a darker dimension. Or reality coming through. I got to catch up on the the lore of this evil Stephen Strange. Um, it's like General Strange or something like that. So I got I to catch up on the lore of that so I know what the heck it is. But it's an evil Stephen, and he shows up to the wedding because he can, I guess. Grim number 11 um, is pretty cool. Uh, the end is going to get released, which is probably not going to be good because it is the end and it can make the end. Um, and then our main characters are trapped under the river Styx, but since the end is getting released, the, and I have, to like, this is kind of a little bit of a trope, a, a lame trope, but since, since there's a bigger evil now, the villain of the series is turning to her, the main character, the heroine, I guess you could say, Jess, to, um have her take her father's death scythe, which is the, like, the super powerful one that she could use the way that her father could to fix everything and become really death, probably, is what it'll be. Um, so it's a little bit of a trope that she's like, oh, I gotta stop my plan so we can save the world together. You know, it's whatever. But um, I guess she's not that evil. Hairball number four, I didn't realize, I think is the final issue. I thought it was a five-issue series. It's actually four from Dark Horse. Um, it's kind of a funny ending because the whole series has gone so far about, like, she's talking to somebody about her experience so far with this cat, this evil demonic cat called Bestie. And you think it's, like, a therapist or something. And she's talking about how this horrible, she she killed it a bunch of times and it just kept coming back. It, it literally burned down her house. It tried to kill her parents. Like, all this stuff that it made happen. And she was aware of it. And the fact that it had these weird, like, worms crawling all over her to whisper, like, creepy stuff in her ears at night. Um, that part I still don't quite understand, to be honest. But besides all that, in the end, it's kind of revealed that uh, she's been talking to Bestie this whole time. <laughs> because when she reunites with Bestie, after tracking her down again, um, she discovers that the kid that Bestie has moved in with isn't as shitty domestic violence a domestic abuse situation and so they she helps bestie kill the dad who is the problem in the scenario and so now she and bestie are gonna go around killing shitty parents is what it looks like um i kind of love that <laughs> murder team with cat uh moving on to adventures of superman john kent number five this is not a series that I've been reading. It's only five issues in, so I'm sure I could catch up real quick if I wanted to. Um, it's obviously from DC. It's following, obviously, John Ken, as the title suggests. What's cool about this is John is in the Injustice universe now, at year five. So it's not, like, way down the line when we know everything's over and I think our world Superman goes in and stops him or whatever. Another world Superman. Um, this, is, this is five years in. Uh, Mon and Pa Kent are both still alive John has I guess I didn't read the previous issue So what I, I gathered is John met Superman of that universe Who gathering That this is his child Who he should have had Would the Joker have not killed Lois The way that he did Um that this is would be his kid and he's, he's like struck by that and so he has this obvious immediate soft spot and robin aka damien because that's uh, who that is because he killed dick on accident kind of um robin is like dude superman you're obviously have a weak spot for him um which is true he does so he ends up um accidentally outing the injustice team whatever you would call them batman side i guess where they are to superman but they don't attack them until they're sure john's not there anymore (laughs) because gotta keep gotta keep john boy safe um i think that's hilarious that he's got such a weakness for john being even from another universe and much much older than his own son would have been (laughs) even if that was gonna be john who was he she was pregnant with at that time Um, And that is a to-be-continued situation, so we'll see how that kind of goes from there. Um, Antarctica, number one, is kind of nothing really so far. Uh, This girl had a dad who was in secret military stuff, and then, I guess, when her mom died and he never came back, she decides to make it her life's goal to track him down, and all she knew was that he mentioned Antarctica. So she gets herself to a military base or whatever in Antarctica... Um, And out in the snow one night, she runs into her future self, who is a doctor of whatever it is that she just started studying out in Antarctica. So uh, it's interesting enough. I'll see what the second issue does. Uh, Loki number two, it looks like he's going to be tracking down various evil weapons made out of the um, boat pieces. Uh, Yeah, it's all it's it's fine. Um, The lore of it, I guess, is pretty cool actual uh, happening of it I guess makes sense. I like the part where uh, the dwarf tries to turn Loki's crown made of gold into a um, he tries to turn it into a bow so that he can use all the magic that the gold soaked up over the years of Loki wearing it against the oncoming army but it's trickster magic so what happens when he fires it he blows up. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was kind of smart because yeah, Loki's Loki's crown, if you make it into a weapon, probably isn't going to do anything but hurt you. Uh, Spirit World number three, again, I really enjoyed. Um, Constantine and Batgirl being the side characters are is pretty fun. Um, and you're getting a lot of Chinese mythology in it as well. Unfortunately, as for Marvel Pride, 2023 was not a whole lot for me to like in that. Um, I don't know who half the characters were I don't really care to find out um, <laughs> that's kind of it yeah uh, the Gwenpool one was fine I guess But uh, oh and I did like the black cat uh, story even though it didn't make sense that Remy was there I guess it was just New Orleans and that was how she got her in because then she steals the stone for the goddess of thieves and asks her out on a date I thought it was pretty funny uh, so that leaves us with Night Terrors and Before the Fall. At Before the Fall, we have one, two, one, two, three, four comics to cover. So starting with the two Before the Fall comics, uh, Heralds of Apocalypse and Sinister 4. Didn't care at all for Heralds of Apocalypse. Won't not say saying anything else about it. As for Sinister 4, um, it kind of proves that whole melodrama didn't really have to be an entire event. It could have just been a few issues, um... I can give you the rundown, though, for the Sinister, the Sinister, Sins of Sinister. That's what it was called. Um, it was basically Sinister figured out how to put his own, like, genetic coding into the fives rebirth chambers, let's say. So every time somebody gets brought back, they have, like, a genetic trigger in them that he can snap his fingers. Try to snap, didn't work. There we go. Snap his fingers one day, and they're all under his control all at the same time, all of a sudden. Um, So in the Sins of Sinister timeline, that all happens, and everything goes to shit, basically. Um, And then they undo that timeline, but unfortunately, everybody remembers, is what it seems to be. So that's the issue. Um, So now in Before the Fall, Sinister 4 was just kind of like a wrap-up of that, basically. <laughs> um, and then you get the a basic description of who the four Sinister characters are. Uh, it's like the old man version of him, the version who thinks it's the real him, the him that we've known who is currently trapped in the pit on Krakoa, and then the female version who was, I guess, a clone of his dead wife. So, there you go. Um, and she's, like, wild magical, and they gave her, like, some really bizarre out-there stuff to work with magically. I don't know if it really works, but it is it is what it is. Um, but anyway, so, the whole thing that's happening now with Before the Fall, I can kind of run down. It's actually what went down in Immortal X-Men, more or less, um, is the, the Krakoa itself, the tree, the the mutant Krakoa is dying. No, it's rotting, is what they're saying. The leaves are falling, and that's the whole, oh, it's fall. Um, And the reason for that is, you remember back when Hickman was doing the Hickman thing, and he said that Krakoa feeds off of, it would normally feed off of, like, one full, it would kill, like, a whole person and consume them every now and then, and that's how it survives. But since there's so many mutants living on it, it can just take like itsy bitsy little bits here and there from all of them, and that's how it's sustained. Well, what just happened it was since the sinister was basically everybody lost faith in their leaders, including and most importantly, Xavier, Professor X, and so now when it's feeding off of all the mutants, it's feeding off of all of this bad juju, basically. Um, and this bad, this bad emotion towards their leadership and towards the core of the X Men themselves. Um, and that's why the leaves are falling and stuff. And so Krakoa tells Doug basically that the only way to get the trust back is to abolish the council, the quiet council, uh, which at this point half of them can't vote anyway. So I don't know what the point was for them to be around <laughs> with only half of them with voting power. Um, And so I think what they're going to do is try democracy. But then as soon as Doug tells Krakoa, okay, they're in, Krakoa grabs him and drags him down into what we can only assume is the pit. And he is out of reach for Hope to reach for the powers, except for her to get the message from Krakoa that they're doing it for his own good, just to protect Doug. And then at the same time, uh, Irene, who is, of course... Uh, can see the future in various future she's a precog you know she'd see various future timelines she can't see the future anymore all she sees is blank white so that's clearly what the fall is going to be about is that, that big mistake that they made just generally all of it just everything since Hickman left let's just go with that as a big mistake and that leads us to fallen friend the death of Ms. Marvel which I'm adding into this before the fall thing because I feel like that's appropriate um, you get three stories in this. There's a few interesting takes that you can have, and I'm trying not to get too problematic with some stuff here. Um, I'm not a big fan of G. Willow Wilson these days. Especially, mostly because of what she's been doing with Poison Ivy. Uh, there's particular bits of the writing that feel very disrespectful, and I can't believe they're letting her get away with that. But that's for another time. Um... She's writing the first story It's fine, I guess I'm a little bit peeved That G. Willow Wilson um, A white Muslim woman Born in America To white family um, And white ancestors Is the main person Who's kind of known For writing Ms. Marvel Um, And it kind of shows In this first chapter You can feel it a little bit When Carol shows up I don't know, maybe it's just me um, that's the first chapter. Basically, the, this this issue is people show up to the mosque to read the Quran, which is a final rites kind of thing for friends and family. Um, and the second story is by Mark Wade. Uh, it's ch- focused on the Champions characters. A lot better. Mark Wade knows the Champions really well. If you haven't read his Invisible Woman series, I highly recommend that. Some very smart stuff in there. Um, and so what he does basically is he has Viv and Um, the female daughter to Vision, you know, she and Brawn, who is Amadeus Cho, get into a big argument about um various things, and then he yells at her about how oh well, you should just shut up about this because basically you don't you don't you have your emotions turned off. You go ahead and turn them on, see how it feels, and she does. And she doesn't like it. And she gets really upset. And so all the emotions of her, the death of her parents and her own death and stuff that happened recently comes back. And so she runs off and then he's like, well, what do you mean you're upset? You can just turn them off. And they're all like, dude, are you shitting me right now? Like, you screwed up there. And it, and it kind of ends with Viv going into like a cellar and sitting there and crying and being like, I'm so sorry. I love you and I miss you. And then turning her emotions off again. And that's how it ends. It's just like her blank face. It's really kind of sad. Um, It hits a lot harder, (laughs) for sure, than I think the first story did. Um, And then the third one was Saladin Ahmed, who is another great Ms. Marvel writer, uh, and he did a really great job. Interestingly, in all three of these uh, stories, they're all reading bits of the Quran, but he is the only one who bothered to translate what they're saying for some reason. Um, And it's needed to be done. It's very important, I think, that that was to be done, so I'm glad they did that. Um, and then we have a little bit of Peter Parker who shows up. It's whatever. It's fine, I guess. Also, the fact that they drew Logan very tall in this was strange to me. He is notoriously a short dude, a stocky little guy, but okay. They drew him as the tallest person in the room in the first story. It was weird. <laughs> Uh, and then the next day after this issue came out, they announced the, the Ms. Marvel, the new mutant. So I guess we had our time to grieve and now we're moving on. (laughs) And that leaves us with the night terrors event at DC. If you haven't caught up with that at all, uh, I actually haven't caught up entirely with it. I only have the first week of books that I've read so far, to be honest, we can catch up more next time. Um, basically a villain named Insomnia has struck. He may or may not be related to stuff in the Sandman universe, because uh, he's looking for the Nightmare Stone, I believe. Yes, and the Dream Stone is the source of uh, dreams' powers in the night in the Sandman universe. So we'll see if that's how that kind of works. Maybe they're about to give us Nightmare in the DC universe. Maybe that's what Insomnia is. It kind of is actually. Um, basically, he's put all the world to sleep. And they're dreaming their worst fears. So, first you get um, the first one that they have to read, I guess, is Night Terror's First Blood number one. That's where you get kind of the intro of him looking for the Nightmare Stone, potentially related to formerly Vertigo comics, but again, we really can't tell right now from what I've read. In the Batman, Night Terror's Batman number one is pretty much standard Batman trauma shit, uh, and he gets it all sorted out by the end. Nothing too surprising. It's a little bit cool. I will not lie. Night Terror's poison ivy. Um, really not a not a super big fan with this. It was okay. Uh, it was fine. I think it ended with Ivy being aware of what was going on and that she was in a dream world. I believe. Um, and also I forgot that the Harley Quinn thirty one actually ended with Batman Carling Harley of all people. To get her to come help him with the situation, if I if I understood that correctly, I don't know. I was too distracted by her buck teeth, which were just there. Um, other issues that have come out that I haven't caught up with yet uh, for Night Terrors. You get Black Adam, Ravager, the Joker, Satan,a Robin, Green Lantern, Shazam, the Flash, and then the Night Terrors number one. Which I think is going to be three issues of the like the main thing. Uh, but that's pretty much what's happening with that. I know the Zetana, uh story. People really, really enjoyed. You get Lucas Wernick art with that one. It's really fantastic. Um, I've seen some some shots of him posting it. It's I really love it. I he's a great artist. Uh, he was on uh, he- not Helians. Um It was the one that North Star was on. Was in the book by Leah Williams. But um, really great art. Really loved to see. I think he was doing some other DC stuff earlier this year. So love to see him at DC. Um, and I'll have to catch up with the others and talk about more of them next week. So, it's just a constant catch-up process here, guys. Uh, but next week, what's coming out, aside from Before the Fall and Night Terrors, we have a bunch of number ones. Literally, I, have, I mean, on my poll list. There's a ton more comics coming out. But for my poll list, there's a bunch of number ones. You have Mark Millar's Big Game number one. Millar's a weird dude, but I'm curious where he's going with this. This is the spin-out, or really the follow-up to ambassadors uh we are getting a new series for blade harley quinn black white and redder hawk girl number one should be called hawk woman i'm not gonna lie moon knight city at the dead number one you may want to pick up because it's actually the first appearance of the scarlet scarab mcu style uh but i don't think they're changing anything about the previous scarlet scarab i think it's just her first appearance there's also a new Red Sonya series kicking off, something called Scrapper Number One and Tales of the Titans Number One, which is going to be about Starfire's origin. For Before the Fall at Marvel, they have X-Men Red Number Thirteen, and then for Night Terrors, we're getting what the number ones of the two shots for Catwoman, Nightwing, Punchline, Superman, and Wonder Woman. They keep trying to make Punchline a thing.
1: <laughs> I forgot about her.
0: Yeah, I I guess they still have plans with her if they're putting her here, so we'll see. That leads us into movies, TVs, and anime. Movies, TV, and anime. Uh, For what's new and noteworthy stuff that we're watching, there's only one live-action show on here, so we're talking about that first. That is Hijack, currently happening on Apple TV+. Plus Uh, Wednesdays with Idris Elba. It's really good. Um, Anything you want to say about... Well, basic plot, obviously. It's a plane, and it gets hijacked by, let's call them, domestic terrorists. Uh, ink British domestic terrorists what do you think about hijack Adam? I think it's awesome um i we were talking about it the other day about how
1: uh, a lot of the Apple plus shows are mm-hmm. really 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 well written um yeah they 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 don't spend time holding your hand and spending no. like a pointless ten minutes explaining an obvious plot detail that you can just flash yeah. by or just show a character actually acting out the moment so then you don't need the Unneeded, you know, exposition mm-hmm. explaining it to you.
0: It's kind um, of the way that they've changed comics to make a weird metaphor. Yes. How they used to write all of this stuff and now they kind of just work on showing you and letting you come to your conclusions a lot better. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's exactly like that.
1: Um, and Idris Elba, it kills it. Um, yes, he's I, fantastic. I, yeah, I, I will watch him in anything. Um, the dude's great. He plays as a guy whose job um, is basically to negotiate huge business deals and so of course in this kind of situation you know where the plane gets hijacked that ability that mm-hmm. he does kind of kicks in and it's mm-hmm. really cool because it's it's almost kind of there's there's the I'm um, almost
0: not sure what side like what his intention is a lot it is and
1: and it's kind of funny because you know normally you have the people like oh i'm trained in hostage negotiations he's just trained in like getting people a win-win deal situation mm-hmm. and i think that's what makes this really cool and intriguing mm-hmm. is that he's not like oh yeah i'm here for the betterment of people he's like nah man nah bruv i just want to get home like straight up he's like i just want to get home i don't give a shit about you i don't give a shit about anybody here i just want to get home mm-hmm. and that's real and accurate to i think anybody in a situation is like trapped in a plane like that
0: something that uh, I thought was really... I, I want to say unique about this one. It, maybe it's not, but as a hijack story or a hostage situation story was you start this whole thing thinking these guys are in charge of their own... Like The the guy who you see who has like the gun in the beginning, whatever you want to call him, the guy who's the obvious leader, you think he's the leader of the entire operation. You get to a certain point, I want to say, in the second episode where he makes a phone call to tell somebody, all right, we've done it, we're successful, now it's your move. Like, clearly waiting for instructions, but he leaves a voicemail. They do not get back to him. At that point, we were like, oh, okay, so somebody was screwing with him. Some kid on the dark web tricked him into thinking that they were some important person who was going to do X, Y, and Z if they did this stuff because they got the ins and the outs and whatever. But now, to where we've caught up to now, no, these idiots were just... I mean, it's, it's a little bit close to that because they have been completely screwed over. They are entirely just pawns in this situation. And whatever they thought they were going to get intel from their bosses, their anonymous probably bosses, they were never going to get anything. As soon as they sent that message that we did it, that was probably all that they had planned for these guys on the plane. And the rest is just like what they're going to negotiate with the government. In the last episode, that was, they finally got the thing. A random dude walks up to the government person, hands him an envelope that says, uh, what was it, Uh, terms or demands? Demands,
1: yeah, that's what it was. Demands.
0: And I was like, okay, that's it. This is, and the guy just walks off after handing him the envelope and it's just a list of stuff. And I'm sure those poor fools on the plane with the guns who think that they were about to get something are probably going to get shot by police when the plane lands. And that's about all that they were ever going to do no matter what they thought. <laughs> uh I don't know how they're going to get out of this alive. Yeah. Also the dude who got stabbed definitely dying. Um really interesting that they showed how much like the adrenaline kept him alive longer. Let's say like he didn't notice he even got stabbed at first. He thought he just got kicked and that was definitely the adrenaline of hijacking a plane. <laughs> But yeah, that one's really great. We won't go into the rest of these probably quite as much except for the last one, which is a max show. You can probably guess what it is. Uh, did you want to talk, mention anything about Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, which has kicked off?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's my favorite arc. Um, nice. It's, uh, everybody loves the Shibuya Incident, which is after this. I love the one of the secret inventory arc, um, which is where you, you see a lot of younger Gojo and Gato, and then you also see the how Mega Me comes to be um, which is one of the other main characters but um and then this arc that's happening now it's I think it's I think now it's about 15 years in the past everything that happens in this is influencing everything that's currently going on in the manga right now Mm. Um, so that's why it's kind of like a big event and why it's my favorite Mm. um and you also get a lot of nuance with the main characters like people you didn't really you know see or hear more about you're like getting to see like young gojo um you get to see uh the young principal and then also how how once you see the story of when yuji comes in and all of them how you know the school was run by old ways and you start to see when gojo comes and he starts to change it to like new ways and progressive and like letting younger generation figure out versus in this time period it's like A bunch of bureaucracy of old people sitting around and going, No, Mm -hmm. we have to stick to the old ways and follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really kind of cool. And I didn't, and I like watching it now animated because it's like, Oh, yeah, there really, this really was a lot of core changes that happened. You don't notice it as you're reading, but then 100 chapters later, you're like, Oh, damn, this was actually a really big arc and really changes the whole perspective of how the manga goes.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, so some other animes I've been catching up with. I don't think I'm going to actually be watching Masamune-kun's Revenge R because I haven't finished the first season. I don't really like it. I thought I was going to. Um, and that's why I'm mentioning it because I've dropped it since I added it to this list. <laughs> um, but on Netflix, on Wednesdays, they do same-day English dub releases of My Happy Marriage, which we both really like. Yes. Um, It's a very... I almost want to say like cliche story of the like the downtrodden girl of the in the family who uh gets sent off to marry the far off guy somewhere and uh it's there's all these rumors about how he's such a strict to horrible man and then she gets there and she and he's like the only thing that he's really upset about is how timid she is. <laughs> um and that's kind of where we're at now. It's it's obviously got good bones to it so I'm looking forward to more of it. Uh this couple of new English dubs on Crunchyroll that I'm a little bit torn about. Um, You get My Unique Skill Makes Me OP Even at Level 1, Sweet Reincarnation, and Am I Actually the Strongest? Those are all isekais that are kind of like... um, Ugh... The cliche of, oh, the this, this sad old guy dies, a sad middle-aged guy dies, and now he's reborn as this young boy who has all of these women who are so dedicated to him as soon as they meet him, but there's not really any explanation as to why, and that's, like, literally the show. He's this young boy with all of these hot, titty-licious women who are just, like, fawning over him, but not all in the romantic way. They're just highly dedicated to him in various ways. So we'll see how those go. Uh, Huremiya is coming back, or has come back, uh, with The Missing Pieces, which is season two. Uh, the English dub of that has started. My Tiny Senpai's English dub has started. I did not like the manga of it because it was pretty much like a webcomic and I didn't like the format. But this is a much more digestible version for me, so that's great. And then Ayaka is a weirder one. I'm sure it's based off of some great story. Um, It has a lot to do with mysticism, so it's a little bit of a different take, I want to say, on a lot of animes that have been coming out. Um, It's mysticism, like, in the real world. Um, (laughs) And so it'll be... I don't know, we'll see how that one goes. But the last one we'll talk about is My Adventures with Superman, which is... um, really good it's on max it's a couple of episodes out i want to say epis three episodes it is very much a anime style um superman show um you yeah, know you were talking about some things you liked about it
1: yeah i like how um how they're they're giving us a superman who's old oh, and he just became like you like mm-hmm. episode 2 he gets the suit you're seeing a clark who hasn't yet figured out his Kryptonian heritage and that how, you know, what it all means to be Superman. Quite yet. He has the bones of, like, definitely, you know, because that's, that's a lot. That's where the mom pop, kent stuff comes mm-hmm. in. Them raising him with those ideals to help out the others and that he mm-hmm. is a stronger person, so he should help out others who can't. Um, so it's really cool to watch him go through that with us as well, you know, figuring out what am I, what should I do? How should I use these powers? Like, why did I get here? He doesn't even know... Um, Kryptonian yet he doesn't mm-hmm. even understand it. Um, the only things that I could pick up was his dad said Jor-El and Kal-El. That was it. Um, <laughs> the rest of it was just you know language they put in there. Um, I love uh, that. I love this interpretation of Lois.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's it's a comp- little shitster. She's a little shitster, which is very much on character for her, and I don't think we've ever seen like a younger like this kind of young aged uh, Lois and Clark before. Um, so you really because she's not a reporter yet, she's still mm-hmm. a fucking intern. They're it's interns, inter- it's, yeah. Yeah, she's still an intern, so it's really, that's even better to see that, like, a completely, she's not established, you get to watch her get to that point, and then you see where she gets that feistiness, and just like you said, a little bit of shit stir in her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, her, Jimmy, and Superman slash Clark's dynamic is great. Yes. Um, I love how it's just, like, when he meets up with Jimmy, they're, like, they're they're literally, like, roommates in the city and fucking bunk beds at, like, 20 mm-hmm. years old. It's yeah. hilarious, and it and
0: it's great. Yeah, I think it works really well. Uh, there have been some complaints about the character designs being femme. If you don't know that this is based off of anime designs, like, very clearly in the way that they're animating this, I don't know what to tell you, man. Plus, this is very young Clark Kent. If you're gonna have a very young... Um, adjacent Wade, no, not Wade, um, Wilson, what's his name? Slade Wilson, Slade, yes, that's not i talking about. Him, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, he's going to be younger. He hasn't been through the bullshit quite as much as he will in 10 years or 15 years when the Teen Titans start coming into the picture. And he takes a turn in life that we don't need to talk about. Yeah, and... yeah, I, I, yeah, I love that you brought that up. because We're actually seeing, like,
1: a Slade Wilson who's not a total creep. Um, yeah. And yet, which I kind of hope is kind of like, this is going to try and redeem him a little bit and just not make him like that. He's just somebody <laughs> who works for Amanda Waller. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I like how I, I like, I think they're going to ease us into it because uh, at first, you know, you see Livewire um, and Silver Banshee, um, but they show up, but they're not metahumans. They are in the comics. I think they're going to ease us into that. They're Right now, their powers are like military tech mm-hmm. slash alien based. I think eventually they'll get into the metahumans as he starts to learn his powers more.
0: Oh yeah. In news, is a couple of things to talk about. Um, hotels and actors and writers are all on strike as con season has officially kicked off. This complicates things. Starting with the hotel thing, um, they're not asking for that much, let's be honest. This is going to be an issue because... If half of your staff in the hotel isn't working and you have packed hotels, you see, it's just gonna. I don't even, I don't, I have no idea how that's going to go. I really hope they're working with their strikers. Um, But then the other strike of course is the writer's strike, which has been going on for, I think a couple of like three or four months now. And then now just a few days ago started officially the SAG-AFTRA Screen Actors Guild Street screen acting film sac writers. SAG,
1: yes, yeah, SAG after something. Sac,
0: screen Acting Guild. AFTRA is American Film and Television. AFT, television uh, Re, recording Association, something like that. <laughs> um, anybody, basically anybody who works in like TV and movies, on set is going to be part of SAG aftra Um. That's a big deal. Already they had the premiere of, uh, I don't remember which Disney movie it was. I want to say Elemental, possibly. Um, but there were no actors at the premiere. It was Disney characters who were the Disneyland actors who showed up on the red carpet. So <laughs> That's one way to do it. I saw some things that um, they're planning on doing, like fan events mostly for premieres and stuff like that. I feel like you shouldn't really just have to do a premiere but whatever and I know that Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer um at the premiere they left or they oh, wow. like they didn't even show up or something like that and Christopher Nolan did like a little speech at the front and was like yeah this is shitty cuz come on guys um and I was really genuinely disappointed I can't actually be that surprised that um What's his name at Disney? Bob, Bob Iger. Bob Iger says, oh, it's so disturbing about what they're asking for. Dude makes uh, 70k a day. They make less than that a year. So I'm not sure what's more disturbing there. Um, <laughs> and then there was the whole thing, of course, uh, that somebody leaked that the, like, Culmination, whatever they call their little their little club of corporations are all planning on riding the strikes out until everybody basically runs out of money and is forced to go back to work because they're homeless. Um, And then a few days later, they had the representative come out and say, Oh, that was supplied by untrustworthy sources. We have no intention of, of not cooperating and blah, 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 blah. And everybody was like, yeah, you tried it. You got called out on it. And now you're faking innocence. Come on, guys. That's that's low. That's cheap. Also, there was some fun stuff at Anime Expo twenty twenty three a few weeks ago. I will probably never go to Anime Expo because it is a horror show of people. Just, just they sell like five times the amount of tickets as they have space in there. It's like three hour lines to even get into the building and finally onto the floor. Um, but there's, I'll have a link in the podcast notes about some of the Anime Expo news. Uh, in case you're interested in that. One of the things that's been revealed recently is that Warner Brothers Japan and Wit Studio are doing a Suicide Squad isekai, uh, isekai <laughs> based on the various DC characters. Of course, Harley Quinn and the Joker are going to be the main two as a part of it. Based on the trailer, it looks like they are doing the two of them as a couple still, so that's going to be kind of sucky to see all of those thumbnails and profile pictures of the tweenagers who think that that's such a hot, romantic, whatever, power couple. That's um, so yeah, we'll see how, how it goes. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. In case you do not know it, isekai means another world and is a really popular, probably the most popular current trope, or genre, rather, in Japanese anime. As for which studio, they are known for the projection of anime series such as Attack on Titan... The Ancient Magus' Bride, Ranking of King, Kings, Spy X Family, and the upcoming Spy X Family Code White movie. So they have a lot of really good stuff behind them. We also learned recently Laid Back Camp is getting season three in 2024, but with a new studio and staff. So hopefully they'll have the same actors. Um. Yeah, it doesn't look like they have actors yet. They have a new character designer, a new... Oh, a returning composer, thank goodness, because that stuff's gold. Uh, Returning sound director, and new series composition, and new director. So we'll see about the cast, I think, in a little bit. What I'm hoping is that, since we're getting a season 3 soon, in the next 6 to 12 months, uh, that we will be getting season 2 dubbed sooner than that, because we still don't have season 2 dubbed in English yet. Uh, I don't have very much news on it, but Greta Gerwig is going to be writing and directing at least two Chronicles of Narnia movies for Netflix. I saw a really funny joke online. The the story of it is real, it's not a joke. Uh, That it was um, Andrew Garfield, I want to say, was the one who was going to play Prince Caspian originally. It was between him and Ben Barnes, who ended up getting the role. Um, and I guess Andrew Garfield was in an interview one time saying that he always thought he didn't get the role because he wasn't as attractive as Ben Barnes, uh, which is kind of a sad thing to say, but he did get Spider-Man. So I guess he didn't really lose in the end. Um, and he is a straight white man in Hollywood. I'm sure he is fine. He's not one of the ones who's probably looking to get a second job while he's acting, you know, that's why they're doing the whole we'll strike. It's because most people do have to do that. But anyway, Greta Gerwig, as we know, is a pretty solid background of, um, writing movies and, and shows and things that are really fantastic. Um, Barbie, of course, is hers. So, um, that'll be a fun one that's coming out soon. But anyway, some people were saying that it would be funny if she cast, um, uh, Andrew Garfield as Prince Caspian it's obviously, way too old for that at this point, but it was kind of a funny thought. Um, Polygon Pictures is going to be releasing the Spider-Man Freshman Year animated series for Disney Plus. Um, we have some information on Polygon Pictures. They are, it says, they are known among Japanese animation circles for the two Ajin television anime series and film trilogy, and Godzilla Kaiju Wakusei film trilogy uh they also contributed to 2008 Star Wars the Clone Wars Amazon on Polygon's pictures Lost in Oz extended adventure uh and some other things Knights of Cydonia, I think it says they adapted Knights of Sidonia that was one that I watched it was a little bit odd animation wise to be honest um so we'll see I'm sure Fresh Spider-Man freshman year will be a fun one to watch no matter what they do, as long as they do not try to put Spider-Boy in it. Do you want to talk about Spider-Boy? No, you probably don't want to.
1: Dude, oh uh, yeah, Spider-Boy, his hit's known as, and and then that one time he was a Spider-Man and he... That's, that's that's basically the gist of what they're, they're trying to retcon him into every big moment Spider-Man's ever had, and they're trying to say that he's been around since the 60s. So that's why I make that joke of, like, Spider-Boy from his massive hit in that issue... And then he did the thing when he saved Peter an issue.
0: (laughs) Not quite. Yeah. Uh, Lastly, before we get into the shows and movies, Sailor Moon and Hello Kitty, or rather Sanrio, are getting crossovers here. Um, Does I have all of the character names? Okay, so I don't know the Sanrio character names. That's the only issue here. Um, Because I'm trying to find the pairings that they did. They're so cute. Uh, You get, obviously, Hello Kitty and Sailor Moon Usagi. You get um, Kuromi and Sailor Mars, for some reason. Um, I don't think I know Cinema Roll and Sailor Mercury. And I don't think I know any of the other names of these characters. I need to get better at my Sanrio stuff. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I don't know their names. But it's really cute! Um, they are a little bit pricey though, so if you actually if we want to get like the plushes and stuff, and then they have a bunch of random stuff like uh, a compact and a hairpin, and the stickers actually look pretty baller, I'm probably gonna check that out. Uh, link for that article is in the podcast notes, and those will not be going on sale until the end of August anyway. We're gonna kick it off with secret invasion. Um, you've been paying attention to that much more than me, but the general gist of it that I get is, we know, uh, Nick Fury's wife is a scroll. He knows that, too. She was supposed to, uh, get close to him in order to kill him, but the woman who she took over, or whose life she took over, basically, mimicked, um, made her- they got really close, and she made her promise not to hurt Nick, and so she can't kill him. Um... Amelia Clark's character was going to die and then didn't die. So she's not dead. She she's t- a super scroll now. Yeah. Right? She, t-
1: she knew that uh, she was going to betray Gravick. So she took the super soldier serum knowing that he was going to shoot and kill her because she had a feeling that would save her because what they're doing in the MCU is that um, the super scroll is it's extremists, nanotech and Groot. And I can't remember what the fourth one is for it. Um, How
0: long till we see that in the comics?
1: yeah no right MCU, MCU synergy. <laughs> go um i I've dug it and enjoyed it because this is the kind of stuff I, I definitely I think you said it before when we were talking when we weren't recording before that mm-hmm. they saw the success of, success of andor and how that played out, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe we should do the same um this probably would have done a lot better if they did it maybe a year or two after winter soldier mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like kind of like the weird fatigue thing. And then I also, uh, Kevin Smith said this as well. He said, he thinks the, the reason a lot of people are not watching is because it's the first Disney plus show. That's not the name of a hero. So people have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think, and I also think it's like that. And I think a lot of people aren't enjoying it because they're expecting it to be this like mcu humor joke fest
0: Mm -hmm.
1: when when it's not it's meant to be like cloak and dagger espionage like who done it don't trust anybody always look over your shoulder kind of vibes which i i enjoy i kind of like that because you know if you want to like go and watch a fun movie you'll put on ragnarok but if i want to watch you know an an mcu spy thriller they're not going to be able to do a full spy thriller because you know it's still mcu stuff but if you want to get that close feeling this is it um I'm excited to see where it goes, but I, the only complaint I would have is that they should have made all the episodes an hour long instead of episode one and two is an hour long, and then episode three yeah. and four are like thirty minutes long. Just do them all an hour long. And yeah, six or eight episodes.
0: It's really frustrating as a it viewer. does.
1: Yeah, because it, it it really messes up the pacing, and it's like if you want to do that, just do seven episodes, make them an hour long each, instead of doing nine episodes and like have two be thirty minutes long.
0: And now Talos is dead.
1: Yes, Talos is dead. Um, it, it was it was kind of a moment because it was because the whole time that he was trying to tell his daughter, Amelia Clark's character, is that they the humans will accept us if we show them that we are naturally scrolls as good people. So he mm-hmm. dies saving the president of the United States. Um, so dramatic. Very dramatic, and it's kind of whatever. But it probably couldn't afford Ben Mendelsohn because he's a pretty good actor and he's expensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the biggest reveal, I think, was that Rhodey was a scroll. Yes. Um, which, we have an
0: interesting theory on that. Yes,
1: which which a lot of people kind of saw coming. But um, I think the Rhodey we see in Endgame is definitely him. I think Rhodey between the time of Falcon and Winter Soldier and this is when he got switched out. Um, and that when you see the reveal that Loki is a scroll, it's Specifically, a woman scroll impersonating him, mm-hmm. and the reason why that's important is because Rhodey's job now is the right hand to the president of the United States, and the reason why that's a big deal, and our theory is, is that this is actually the Scroll Queen. Um, yeah. Did you...
0: Yeah, in the comics, the Scroll Queen has a different character that she takes over and lives as for, I think it's many, many years, and that is Spider Woman Jessica Drew. It's important to note this because there are two key places where Spider-Woman sits at that point in the comics. That is, one, a very close friend and confidant to Carol Danvers. Two, extremely high security. She is like top three members of the Avengers at that point for those years. That is an extremely significant period of her character's history. And then you find out that it is entirely not even her. Uh, th- those are the two big deals because she's she's such a high security basically character, and she has this relationship with Carol Danvers. Rhodey in the MCU has already been confirmed to have some kind of friendship slash interest in Carol Danvers. We know that in the comics, they're pushing their romance again in the coming months in a new in a new um, Marvel Infinity I think it is series, which is I'm sure at some point going to end up in print. Why do they ever push characters in the comics? Because it's going to show back up in the movies. I think that Rhodey and Carol's relationship is going to sh- kind of take center stage at some point in the movies. But which uh, maybe the, maybe, it, maybe the real Rhodey at that point. So that's half the theory. The other half of the theory being, of course, there he is with his high security clearance. Just like Jessica Drew had at that point in uh, being the Squirrel Queen. It just makes sense. He is an equivalent to... More or less, uh, very high profile in the government, high profile to the Avengers, high security clearance, enormous amounts of knowledge that she would learn by taking over the body. A little bit of an equivalent to Jessica Drew in the comics. I'd, that's the way that we see it, at least, because it just it just fits. It feels like it fits.
1: And one thing as well, if you're the queen, you know, and you want to be treated royal, and like royalty and get all the best of the best, where else would you go then besides high ranking powerful position like that where you literally only one person above you mm-hmm. the president um so yeah so she yeah. could keep that lifestyle she had have all the nice things kick back and relax um and then another thing that I thought was really funny about it is that in the previous episode they had a really great scene of like just actors acting it out know, Don Cheadle mm-hmm. and Samuel L. Jackson yeah. you know like talking about what it means to be black. And then it's funny when Samuel Jackson goes back, he's kind of starting to put two and two together like this might not be my roadie So he starts, you know, like... I I call it the cookout questions. He starts, like... like, Mm. He starts talking about, like, E&J and, like, stuff like that. And then I love this, like, you can see that, like... The scroll acting as Don Cheadle Rhodey kind of is, like, racing. You can see, like... she's Trying
0: to to get ahead. Yes, you can see that she's, like...
1: Yeah, you can see that she's scanning Rhodey's memories, trying to find something to, like, bring down the suspicion of it all. Um, So it's really kind of funny that you can definitely start to see that even Nick Fury's, like, okay... And it also makes sense, he was literally married to one, so he would know mm-hmm. the cues and things to look for for mm-hmm. it. Um, but then when he ends up finding out that he can't push too far, is that um, Scroll Queen Rhodey has video evidence of Gravik as Nick Fury shooting and killing Mariah Hill.
0: Oh, God.
1: So so he pulls that up and is like, yeah, if you go anywhere spewing this nonsense that uh alien taken over the government, I'm just going to show them this, man. Like, just really gets him in a bind. And I think that's when you kind of, like, kind of sh- cuts Samuel Jackson. He kind of knows that, like, okay, this is not Rhodey anymore. This is yeah. not the guy that I came up with. And then one last thing to wrap it all up. Mm-hmm. As he walked out, they were sharing a, a, a drink of cognac. What, uh, the Cheadle, uh, Rhodey makes a joke of, like, oh, it's poison in here. And Samuel Jackson goes, nah, nah, nah. It's the nanotech you got to worry about. <laughs> Chuckles. It was a nanotech tracer inside the cognac. So now <laughs> Nick Fury knows everywhere that uh Broke. I still think Queen Scroll Roadie is going yeah. now. So that was like a nice little funny. He may have lost that little battle, but it's still going.
0: <laughs> the war is still on. Yes. Hasn't lost the war. Yeah. So then Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, we have Episodes 3, 4, and 5 to briefly go over. Episode 3 was titled Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. This was uh, an alternate timeline that La'an gets sent to uh, completely on accident. Um, I guess somebody from the past or something travels to her time Uh, and then when he dies, history changes, and suddenly she is on not Pike's ship, but on Kirk's ship, the Enterprise. Um, so history kind of changes. a couple other changes, too. Um, and so she ends up trying to convince Captain Kirk that this is what's happened, and she's from a different reality, and she needs to save it, blah, blah, blah. Um and she very clearly well well first off they end up back going into the past together to stop whatever the 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 issue is that changed history um he accidentally ends up tagging along with her basically and she very much falls for him. And I think he probably kind of falls for her too. Unfortunately, when they save the day and go back to their regular timeline, he doesn't remember any of that, but it's still really friggin' cute though. La'an, you know, she's been the one who's like the tough motherfucker of the group. Her, <laughs> It's her and um, Una or like the really tough ones, but she's like a whole kind of other level. Um, and so it was really cute to see her, go back to her room after fixing everything and just instinctively pull out her phone and dial him. And when he answers, she's like, she doesn't even know what to say. She was just like, I just wanted to talk to him. so she just like, she makes something up and is just like, oh, just so you know, we, we did this check for you. Okay. Yeah. We'll check in later. Did she? Does she ask him out to dinner?
1: No, she was asking for somebody else's clearance, and then he was like, "Are you sure that's all it's about?" And then he's oh, like, yeah. and then he kind of
0: catches on. And he
1: catches on, and then he said, "Did you want to finish asking me these questions over dinner?" That's right. Yeah. But but that was that was such a great episode, but also crushing because it's like you really see her like because it was mm-hmm. the whole theme of the episode was like. No, you need to take down some of these walls and let somebody in and have mm-hmm. a good relationship. Yep. It's
0: okay to to let somebody in. Yeah. And it's so funny that Tim although it does concern me a little bit because obviously she's not in the original series, so what happens to her? <laughs> um yeah, that's that's with, with all the characters who are the, as far as I know, no, you know, number 1 um, Ortegas, La'an, they're all original characters. I, we have no idea what's going to happen to them between... And Nurse Chapel, too, yeah. Yeah, well, Nurse Chapel, she's, she's in the original series. Yeah, that's, I was like, yeah. yeah, she's, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, I really, really liked that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, episode four was Among the Lotus Eaters. This was another really fun one. Oh, they all fun.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but also pure to the... Oh, don't let me forget to talk about Doctor Who. Okay. Um pure to the star trek heart so really fantastic in that sense that's that's what i want for my star trek is it to stick to that heart and that's 100 percent what strange new worlds has done um among the lotus eaters it is a planet that they end up they they're they end up sending um uh uh what do they call them surface crew um, whatever they call them, to this planet, and they don't know the planet has really this particular kind of radiation because of a meteor that's around it uh, that really basically throughout the day ends up wiping your entire memory and then every night wipes your memory of the previous day. And so the people who live on the planet, or moon, or whatever it is, they like they have to basically just get by with assuming that what people tell them is reality and stuff. And so what you find out is this guy who used to be a crew on the crew of the Enterprise, but who got stranded there without their knowledge. They thought he was dead. Um, he discovers that the like chapel that's built there blocks the radiation. So he can keep his memories um, and his soldiers who he eventually gets in charge of because, of course, nobody can remember anything but him. So he tells them he's in charge. They believe him. Um, so he gets in charge, the soldiers remember to follow him, but everybody else just like works and does what he tells them to do because they don't remember anything. So they just believe him. Um, and then of course you get, it's, who is it? It's, it's Spock, La'an, or is it Una? It's Spock, Kirk, and, um, no, no, no. I'm Pike. doing, I'm doing, I'm, I'm completely wrong. It's in Benga.
1: Pike and
0: Pike. Uh, Le- La'an. Is it La'an? La'an, yes. Um, I really like. Mbenga's, um he was, he was a great example for him and Ortega's. Actually, great because the same thing that happens to them upon the ship because it's an asteroid that's causing this radiation to wipe memories. Um, great examples for what the whole purpose of it was. No matter if they, no matter what they forgot memory wise, they remembered their purpose. So Mbenga remembers that he is a healer and Ortegas remembers that she is a pilot. Oh, yeah, that that, that was so a cool. great yeah. scene with her and Spock <laughs> up on the ship. I really liked yeah. that.
1: Yeah, God, yeah. And that was so, yeah, sorry, are going to get stuck in the little thing, but, like, it was yeah. so cool because I just remember that scene because it's like you see the memory wipe happen, mm-hmm. and then she wakes up, and she's like, what the f- I'm in space. I'm driving. <laughs> How do I do this? And then, like, as that happens, it, like, two seconds later, it starts to happen with Spock, and mm-hmm. so Spock starts to freak out. She's like, who are you? Who are you? And then, like, they have to move because the other asteroids are coming towards them. And she's like... They just have to figure it out. And then she goes, I don't know, but it's something in me. Tell me that I'm the only person that can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then she just, like, zips around on the ship. That was so cool. Yeah, that was...
0: I really loved that. Um, um, and then in the end, they end up getting the asteroid pulled away from the planet so everything can be okay again.
1: Yeah, and then my, my favorite one was, uh, was when Pike, uh, he has the confrontation with him in the chapel.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: then he's like, oh, you left me here. And then, like, you know... Pike starts to remember who he is because he's been in the chapel long enough. And he's like, I mourned you. He was like, we were sad. He was like, and we had, had was, a
0: whole ceremony. Yeah, he's
1: like, we had a whole ceremony for you. And then him hearing that is like, oh, wow, they actually did care. And he's like, what are you going to do with me now? He's like, I'm going to bring you home. Yeah. Such a great captain thing to say. And yeah. it's like in that moment of like, he lost all who he was, but he remembered like
0: those values of Starfleet and being a good captain and getting yeah. your crew home and saving people. Yep. Yeah, again, just true and true to the Star Trek heart. Yes. Yeah. And then episode five this past week was called Charades. Mm. Uh this one was basically it was um Nurse Chapel and Spock were in a crash that some space entity kind of happened over, I believe, or that they caused an accident somehow. And being a magical space entity of undisclosed origins or whatever, they were able to quote unquote fix the two of them being wounded spock though being different it was two things it was the fact that he was they saw him as kind of two separate people and they also saw him as being different from nurse chapel so they chose the side of him that looked like chapel who was the one he was with and they wiped out the vulcan side of his (laughs) dna completely and so he spends the whole episode basically learning how to be a human and, ha- and control these emotions and all this stuff that he's never had to even probably worry about in that way before. And of course, at the same time, his fiancee to Pring has come. Her mother is a mass of traditionalists in the terms of Vulcan stuff. She would be horrified to know. and then of course, in the end, he ends up coming clean about all of it because um, that's really the foundation of what you're trying to do here, right is have an honest relationship. They're starting they're trying to get married. Um, but then uh, after all that, you know, is he's Vulcan again, right? Yeah. He's Vulcan again. He gets
1: Vulcan. Yeah.
0: And then yeah. he and Chapel, I don't, I'm not going to say they get it on, but they definitely make out a little bit.
1: Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I thought the thing that was so great about, it, cause like the whole time to the ceremony, they're just like dunking on his human mom, just like yep. talking
0: trash And he was going to lose it.
1: And he's like sitting there like holding
0: it in. And then the like, actress who played his mom, I can't remember who she is, but she's great.
1: Yes. And then they said, and they said something like, Yes, good thing your 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 Vulcan side came through and finished this, and a human <laughs> would have never been able to do it, and that was like a. thing. That was and, like, the
0: moment, he's like, alright, I gotta tell yeah, him. Yeah,
1: that was the thing. Like, disrespectful. That, that one drip of water that sends the thing flowing over, is yeah. Spock, so Spock pulls off the fake ears and says, yeah. what makes me strong is because of my human mom. Just like you're saying, mm-hmm. another great Star Trek moment of it all. And then it was really cool to see like him fully embraces his human side between mm-hmm. that scene, And the one of him hanging out with his crewmates drinking, and then he finally gets the joke. The joke, yeah. So (laughs) great.
0: So, uh, just to wrap up today's episode, we've been watching Doctor Who. It is, um, what's her name? What's her name? Being the only thing you really need to know, you don't actually need to know her name, because it's only been one female Doctor Who. Um, And, like, Adam heard all the bad stuff, the bad rap that it was getting when it was coming out. And he is equally as shocked... As I was when I was watching it, uh, how it's not at all like the rap was getting. Um, it's pretty much classic who the way who well, has always been. Well,
1: we got through like, what, six or seven episodes last night?
0: No, um, like for at least four or five. Okay. I want to watch more of that tonight. Let's I'm, do that. i okay.
1: I haven't watched any of it. So I went in just only hearing the people dunking on it. He's he's writing. watched other Doctor Who. Yes. Though. I, I've caught up that. on all the other. Yeah.
0: Characters. This is the one he hasn't
1: seen. Excuse me. Um, I think I said it like five or six times when we were watching those episodes. I don't get this. This feels just like Doctor Who. Like, even her, mm-hmm. her mannerisms are Doctor mm-hmm. Who. The things she does is Doctor Who. Her fucking yep. personality is Doctor Who. Like the one the one of the first things here. Oh, empty pockets. I hate empty pockets. It's such yep. a Doctor Who thing to say. Yep. Uh, so like, yeah, it's just like a lot of. If the you weird... can
0: imagine a cringy fourteen year old trying to be that, and you just like internally, your whole body just kind of cringes at the thought. That's that's a good Doctor Who line. Yeah, because <laughs> dog, you know. Doctor Some kid who, trying to do it.
1: Doctor Who is this weird, eccentric alien who comes to Earth and is just fascinated by what we have. And it only works because to... he's
0: actually an alien. Yes. <laughs> and, and, yeah,
1: and so that's why, like, the whole time I'm watching him, I'm like, this feels like Doctor Who. Because, you know, I've mm-hmm. watched all the other ones from, like, what is it, the OG guy with Billy Piper to, like, mm-hmm. Matt Smith and David Tennant and everybody Jackal in between. Suit. So, like, I... I it it feels along with me. Maybe I'm not a real Doctor Who fan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, another thing that we were bringing up is there is like okay, second episode of her season of her, her season. Rosa Parks. Yes, I was tearing up at the end of that episode. I don't know if you that, that was that was a big moment they, showing that. Like we we say all this dumb shit about oh you know you could name a star after yourself. Could you imagine ever going out into space and looking at that thing and.
1: Well, and, it, that would
0: be a that would be a moment, and that's and, why I was kind of having a moment there. And
1: then a lot, of, yeah, and yeah, those are great episodes. Really a well, and I think one of the things that did it great was that having that that young man see it as well, like his perspective and mm. like his acting of yes. like going back and seeing that. And then the woman who played Rosa Parks killed it. Yes, she, she did absolutely right. killed it. it. She reminded me of like as somebody who grew up in like the Bible Belt South. Carolina. He's from South Carolina, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so she reminded me of so many of those like goodness-to-earth great black woman who just want to help other people, not mm-hmm. even for their own
0: personal gain, just want to help people and want everybody to be happy. That's- she comes ac- she comes across a British, very dark-skinned black man kind of following her home. Finds out more or less quickly that he's not dangerous. Invites him to come join their meeting.
1: Yeah, and then he gets to, and then is so that funny. was that
0: was her very clearly opening the door to somebody into that community that he very much was looking for. And
1: then he has a great line to her talking because this is before she does. She she doesn't give her seat up on the bus. So she has no idea he's from the future. And he lets her know this fight will be worth it. That mm-hmm. was so great. And then yeah. just like the look at her face, and then when she finally does get taken in, she just gives him that silent nod as she gets taken off the bus. Yeah.
0: Um, so, so that so on that side, we were talking about how oh people are probably ma- this is why people are mad at the shows because it's it's very female forward, it's very people of color forward, blah blah blah. That's really what Doctor Who's always been. Like, am I wrong? Like, we remember, what's his name? Billy Piper's boyfriend, Rose's original boyfriend. Uh, Remember Martha, the black, very dark-skinned black companion? Like, this is not new, guy. I don't know why people suddenly are, like, offended by this stuff that Doctor Who has always done. another thing
1: that, that whenever we finished watching it last night, I was like, this is exactly like the Van Gogh episode with mm. Matt
0: Smith and Karen Gillum yes. that
1: everybody yes, loves. Yes, that was
0: kind of, the Rosa Parks this, one was very much along that exactly line. Exactly
1: the same, yeah. but just with a different character and yep. people complain
0: about it. It's, it's yeah. really funny. But but you you know the difference. One of them is a ginger and one of them was a black woman. So. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to mention, because we're talking, we were just talking about Star Trek, uh, I mentioned this to you yesterday, kind of point for point, culturally, Star Trek is to America what... Doctor Who is to Britain. Yeah. Point for point. Don't, don't try to tell me it's Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. It's fucking Star Trek. That weird-ass shit. That weird, like... The TV... The, the TV, cult the phenomenon. Yeah. Not only that. And I need somebody, or I need to educate myself. I need to figure out who created Doctor Who. Because we obviously know... We know the story of Gene Roddenberry. If you haven't seen that comic by by the oatmeal... You are doing yourself a disservice. Look up Gene Rodden. Look up Star Trek The Oatmeal. That's all you need to know. Click on what you see. You will read it. You will probably have your heart torn out and pumped for you by the cartoonist a little bit. Um, But yeah. The 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 weird cult classicness the fact that it goes back into like the weird 60s like we don't know how to write television you know but they're going to do it anyway and people like adore the older stuff like way more than they adore the newer stuff and they're always talking about how oh we want the old trek back we want the old doctor who back you know it's point for point that but then also the the spirit of the thing that started gene roddenberry to make star trek that i'm sure is somewhere behind the inspiration of whatever the Huck Doctor Who came from on that other side of the planet, practically, you know, they are the same beast. It is the constant desire to do better, to be the good person. Uh, What is, what is the line um, from Mr. Rogers that he says, what his mom would always say Look for the helpers in a disaster situation. That is the spirit. That right there, Mr. Rogers, you can throw him in with the group. That is the spirit of these two products, Doctor Who and Star Trek, of being multicultural and multi-ethnic and all of these other things. From the get-go, that's always what they were supposed to be. Now, I, I don't know 100% about old Who, but from 2005, I know for sure that's what it was. Um, I just had that epiphany yesterday and was like, holy shit, Star Trek is Doctor Who for Americans, and the other way around as well. Let me know if you agree. I don't see how you wouldn't. Anything else to add? No. Yeah. All right. We're going to turn our fans back on It's triple degree weather outside. And i will hopefully be back sooner than this time it's been. Uh, I've had some health issues <laughs> and it's just been hot, man. It's hard to think when it's this hot. Uh, death Valley is only a few hours away from me and it's going to get the potentially the highest temperature ever. Would they say ever reasonably measured? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a scary statement. So can't you cook eggs at that temperature? So when I was a kid in Bakersfield, we tried that once and <laughs> she kept poking at it. My friend, um, I think if we had left it sit there, it probably would have started to cook because I mean, if the ground's too hot for you to stand on, you gotta be able to cook something on it, right? Like that's kind of makes sense. Anyway, (laughs) enough talking about the miserable heat that we're in, give it a month and hopefully it'll be over. Fingers crossed. Um, Have a good rest of your week. Enjoy the remainder of July. Jessica Cruz's image post is on my (laughs) site. I'm going to do it eventually. Um, Yeah. Don't be a dickhead. Bye.